the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Sunday, hopefully you were at church, and if you were, yours like mine, like so many others around the United States and around the globe, probably began with a speaker getting up into the pulpit, maybe your regular pastor, and uh, doing so as they did, for example, at a packed church in Bavaria, church called St. Paul's, in fact, where the um, gathered throng was, like many churches, invited to... um, Praise the Lord. And, of course, then launching into a sermon as listeners, uh, believers there gathered, attentively uh, took in what the speaker was addressing related to such matters as leaving the past behind, focusing on the challenges of the present, overcoming fear of death, and never losing trust in Jesus Christ. Sounds like pretty average, everyday hermeneutics. Although, in this case, the speaker was not actually a speaker, but an avatar, quoting not from a sermon prepared by the pastor, but rather an AI or artificial intelligence prepared sermon. Wow. We're hearing more and more about not only some of the detriments, but perhaps benefits, too, of so-called artificial intelligence. I will tell you that I recently had a discussion with a colleague about um, chat GPT. And I had, uh, coincidental to that conversation, a little bit of a, a creative dry spell. If you ever do any writing, you'll know what I mean. And I had some uh, promotional announcements to write for some radio programs. And I just, you know, the, the, the creative juices just weren't flowing. And I remembered that conversation with a colleague about ChatGP, and I thought, gee, I wonder. So I set up an account and put in some keywords and let ChatGPT know what I needed in general idea and how long and so forth and hit the enter key and just before my eyes, ChatGPT created a fairly decent 30-second piece of promotional advertising copy for a radio program. Now, I have to tell you, it was a little bit cliche-ish and clunky and awkward in some places. But overall, I will tell you that fully 80% of what the ChatGPT created, I ended up using after I'd kind of put my voice to it. And I, I came in the next day and had a conversation with our production director and said, I want you to know I've just met your replacement. 
because it's truly amazing what this new technology can do. But like in the example of the AI-generated sermon, it can be as amazing as it can be frightening. And by the way, that sense of fear and trepidation goes well beyond the notion of our jobs being lost to artificial intelligence. Let's dig down deeper as we invite Dr. James Spencer to join the conversation. He is president of the Dwight L. Moody Center. He hosts the weekly radio program and podcast called Useful to God. He is also the author of multiple best-selling books, including Useful to God, Eight Lessons from the Life of D.L. Moody. And Dr. Spencer, a delight to have you join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Undoubtedly, you read the same story that I did about this uh, church in uh, Germany that have conducted an entire service created out of chat GPT. And I, I don't know about your reaction, but my, my initial reaction to all of this was, was one of being very unsettled. I mean, to begin with, um, you have to wonder if chat GPT just reaches out into all the sources that are available on the Internet and gathers information. Uh, who is to say that there is some kind of a gatekeeper related to things like solid, biblically-based theology, and how would chat GPT or AI even know the difference? Yeah, it's difficult to know exactly where chat GPT is going to pull its information. Uh, you know, these things work largely on statistical models, and so they're filling in gaps. They're inferring in a way that we would normally infer. But um, I think, you know, a larger problem with having AI deliver your sermon is what it really does to your church. You know, most churches, we have to leave room for a pastor to do deep study of the Word of God, and that's something that we value. It's something that we organize our communities around to make sure the pastor has that time. So if we surrender that over and just allow AI to do it because it frees us up to do other things or what have you, I think we're really making a mistake um, in, you know, sort of decoupling ourselves from the importance of God's Word and the importance of studying it and proclaiming it on that in that Sunday sermon, I just think we're making a fundamental error in who we are as the people of God. And so um, whether, whether ChatGBT can get a sermon right, I think is a separate question. I really think the question comes down to who are we and why is it that we would ever want a machine talking to us if we truly value the word of God. And, you know, not necessarily trying to cast aspersions towards any pastors that may be eavesdropping on our conversation this afternoon, uh, but but I would also add to that, um, I, you know, the most important thing that you can do of all that pastors do is delivering and proclaiming God's word from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Why would you ever want to relegate that to artificial intelligence to somehow suggest that that is one of the more easily uh, disposable, so to speak, tasks or responsibility that a pastor has, where in my mind, it, it is the penultimate? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think there's something, too, I mean, as, a, as an academic and somebody who studies scripture pretty regularly, um, I find that the process of studying scripture, even if I have no particular outcome from it, I don't write a piece on it or I don't, you know, preach a sermon after I study, that process of studying scripture is really important. And so I think if we take that away from pastors or pastors surrender it, 
uh, it, it leaves a big hole as to whether a pastor who has many other things on his plate is actually going to be formed by the Word of God in a way we need them to be uh, to, to really shepherd a flock. And so I just see a lot of problems as we're, as we're sort of reveling in the interest and the novelty of artificial intelligence. I think oftentimes when we see something as progressive, if we see something as innovative, we never really think about what we're losing when we adopt it. And in this case, I think we're just losing too much. So I recognize there are pastors who, you know, they use Sermon Central or something like that, where they, you know, pick sermons up from other people because they just simply don't have the time. Maybe they're bivocational or something like that. And so I don't, I don't want to say, you know, the blanket statement, never do this. But I do think if we're going to surrender the time that we already have to have a pastor actually study and develop a sermon, I think we're really making a mistake here. Well, and there's even perhaps a deeper issue, and this not only goes to the heart of, I think, the responsibility of the pastor in the pulpit, but I think should also speak volumes to each and every one of us. And that is that, you know, if you look at the ability of AI, like ChatGPT, to go out there and gather information across the Internet and and return a somewhat coherent response, as in my experience of of having it write a couple of radio promos, I mean, it, it, it did an okay job. It wasn't spectacular, but certainly, as they say, 60, 70 percent I wound up keeping and then just kind of touched things up. But it, it, it's drawing from a base of knowledge to, pri- to provide some information. But I would wonder from your perspective, Dr. Spencer, if there's one thing that chat GPT cannot like AI, cannot and will never be able to do, and that is it's one thing in my mind to have access to a, a base of knowledge, but isn't there a profound difference between someone who is knowledgeable versus somebody that has wisdom? And where do you draw from the nuggets of Scripture as you were learning about not just wisdom, but also sort of honing your, your sense of discernment? How is artificial intelligence going to develop spiritual discernment yeah and i think those are the really key questions i don't think it's going well i I won't even i'll say it more forcefully it won't be able to um when we think about what it means to know god that is very different than just knowing about god knowing about god is extremely important again as somebody who has studied the scriptures deeply i really love having a lot of biblical and theological knowledge and i find that's important for my spiritual life But if I'm not also participating with God in life, I am going to miss out on a lot of insights and wisdom and development and just spiritual growth that I could be gaining. And ChatGPT and all these other AIs, they're gonna be able to tell us information about, but they're never really going to be able to have the experience of participating with God. It's the difference between, um, you know, knowing that a bike is a mode of transportation and knowing the feeling that is to sort of have your glass burning as you're climbing up a hill or have the wind in your hair as you're going down a hill, those are experiences that AI will never have. And I think that's very similar to what we have here with uh, our relationship with God. There is the knowing about God, but then there's also participating with God, having an experience of God, having an actual relationship with God, recognizing that there, testing him through our obedience. Those are things that AI is never going to be able to do. They just simply don't have the same relationship to God that we have. So 
So even if they can mimic our behaviors, they won't be able to have that experience. Yeah, and it struck me in in reading some of the commentary related to this sort of experiment that they did at this conference in um, in Bavaria. They said, you know, on average, it kind of sounded at the end of the forty minutes like a pretty typical Sunday message, a pretty typical Sunday service, uh, based on gathering information and data off the Internet and collating all of that. But you've touched on a distinction that I want to dive into even deeper after we take a brief time out, Dr. Spencer, and that is simply this. And I think it's an important lesson that maybe as much as we are intimidated by or off-put by AI or maybe even excited about AI, as I suggest, wow, it wrote a pretty decent little radio promotion. Who knows how long it'll be before it's writing, you know, two-hour-long movie scripts. But maybe the one thing that we can learn from chat GPT or AI is this important distinction that there is a difference between knowing God and knowing of God or knowing about God. It is so much more profound than simple data bank of details and lists and information. I mean, you can go into a, a, a for example, you can go into your uh, your uh, concordance and learn all kinds of great information about God. But does your concordance know God? Well, of course not, because it's an it's an inanimate object, and and so too is artificial intelligence. And so, if it can never engage in pure relationship with God, which at the end of the day is ultimately the goal here, then it can never really truly know God. And maybe that's an important distinction that we can all learn from. With me today is Dr. James Spencer, president of the D.L. Muley Center and the host of the radio and podcast, Useful to God. We take a brief time out. More of our exploration of artificial intelligence continues on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Here's a statement maybe you can relate to. Uh, my dear grandmother, who admittedly only had a sixth grade education, um, her father had fallen ill to the 1918 flu pandemic, eventually succumbed succumbed to it. And so as a result, she had to go to work. She was one of the older kids in the household. So she went to work with my uh, great grandmother doing whatever could be done. I think they brought in laundry and did laundry for farm work and things of that sort, had a job to do, only had a sixth grade education. And yet I will tell you to this very day, um, while she perhaps did not have a huge bank of knowledge to draw from, learned knowledge, she had incredible wisdom. And she was a woman that I certainly would characterize as really knowing God. Well, if that ultimately in life is the goal, to really intimately know God, and we know that inanimate objects like the computer in front of me cannot have feelings and cannot know God, then the limitations of AI in terms of being able to teach us about theology or even preach a sermon on Sunday morning are 
very radically limited. And that really gets to the heart of our conversation as we're visiting today with Dr. James Spencer, president of the D.L. Moody Center. And Dr. Spencer, you know, this this idea that knowledge about God, I mean, I suppose we can memorize passages of scripture and, and learn about chapter and verse to, to recite information pertaining to uh, the behavior of God, the character of God. But to really know God in that intimate relational standpoint is something that comes from prayer, living life, being in the Word, being exposed to Bible-based teaching. It, it, it is so much broader than simply a bank of data or knowledge. And I guess therein lies the real big shortfall, not only in AI, but maybe the example for all of us in understanding that knowing God is so much more than just a gathering of facts or information. That's right. And I think we want to be careful here as we think about AI. There's a lot of conversation about will AI be able to develop consciousness? And that's a big debate, sort of a philosophical and theological debate happening now within the technology sector and and mostly people who address AI. And what I would say is just this, even if AI could develop consciousness, whichever side of that argument you might fall on, um, part of what it means to know God is God reaching out to us. It's not about us reaching out to God. It's not about us having the capacity to know him. It's about God establishing a clear relationship with us and allowing us access to himself. That access has not been granted to artificial intelligence. And so I would say even beyond whatever capacities are being contemplated in public about artificial intelligence, Artificial intelligence, part of the reason that it will never really have a deep experiential knowledge of God, you know, an ability to test God through obedience and see God act on its behalf. The reason it will never have that is because God has not opened the AI up to that relationship. It's opened humans up to that relationship. And so as we have this relationship with God now, what we get the privilege of doing is seeing what God's wisdom truly is, living our lives according to it. And largely that means that we do test God through our obedience. And as we trust him, he shows up. He's a very active and real presence in our lives. And so aside from what we learn about him in scripture, as we put that scriptural knowledge into practice, we come to know God as we would another person in our lives, where we're actually getting to know him by living with him. Well, and I would wonder, too, you, you, you speak on the issue of whether or not in, in broad terms that, that AI could ever uh, develop a sense of, of, of conscious or, or a morality, right or wrong, things of this sort. And, and my mind immediately goes to passages like Psalm 119, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And, you know, while certainly we can see morality from a list of do's and don'ts, But isn't there also, Dr. Spencer, a profound imprint, so to speak, that God places in us, in our heart, in relationship to, you know, we can we can rely on our brain to go to the list of what we can and can't do. But then there's also that sense of the imprint of right and wrong on our heart that that only the Holy Spirit can do. Yeah, and I mean, I think many times our, our rational instincts will lead us astray. Because sometimes obeying God just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So we have to have this other sort of imprint, like you're saying, 
that really allows us to imitate Christ, to set aside our own desires, and to pick up the desires that he demonstrated for us as he was here on earth. And so we're really imprinted with that sort of sense of eternity, that sense of God. We are made in God's image. And I think at the end of the day, you know, God has given us a unique relationship with him that he is constantly beckoning us to. And so often humans may ignore that. We may deceive ourselves that it's not actually there. We may outright reject it. But that doesn't mean that he's not still sort of knocking at the door, calling on us, trying to get us to repent and come to him. He's constantly showing himself to us. He's revealed in all creation. And we are uniquely capable of seeing that in ways that I don't think a machine ever really will be. Well, and let's talk, for example, about the fashion and manner in which the Holy Spirit operates in our lives in relationship to things like uh, conviction of sin. Uh, And now, again, there can be the list, so to speak, um, but the, the ability to to see intelligence not as a measure of, of wisdom or morality. It certainly can't impart things like compassion or, or deep understanding or empathy or that sense of, of again, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that, that may not necessarily be, oh, I'm remembering a chapter and verse from the book of Exodus that I shall not do this behavior. Well, that's kind of, in my mind, the equivalent of carrying around the encyclopedia in encyclopedia in your head is not a bad thing per se, but it doesn't equate itself to the way in which God relates to us and moves upon our hearts and our and the depths of our being that goes beyond just simple head knowledge. Yeah, I mean, the Holy Spirit certainly illuminates us. Um, the Holy Spirit prompts us to um, do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, to align our lives with the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit is constantly working in our hearts to convict us and reform us and draw us to repentance so that we can become more conformed to the image of Christ. And and so I think that there is that aspect of it that, again, the, you know, the church is the unique temple of the Holy Spirit. Individual believers are the unique temple of the Holy Spirit, not artificial intelligence. And so no matter how much artificial intelligence can learn, it can't be directed by the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it just isn't that sort of being. God hasn't promised the Holy Spirit to an artificial intelligence engine that uh, proclaims Jesus is Lord. He's done that for humans. And so artificial intelligence, it's going to, I think, have some really unique benefits and some potential uh, negative consequences for humanity. I really believe that it could have a you know a good and a bad. Like most technologies, it's going to have a, a good side and a bad side. But it will never fully replace us because of the unique relationship that we have with God. And I think that's something for Christians to really wrestle with. Even if this outpaces our intellect, even if AI is you know quote unquote smarter than we are. There is something about our relationship to God, particularly those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ and have the Spirit inside us, that we still have the responsibility to survive in this world so that we can proclaim the gospel. We are the only people on this planet, we are the only entity on this planet, we can probably say, 
capable of truly proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. And we need to take that seriously. That can never be taken away from us. And well, so no matter how smart these AIs are, we still got that. Well, and there's another issue here, too, and I want to I touch on this after the break, and that is to come to the full understanding, and it really comes to the heart, too, of the gospel message, and that is to understand that while we might be able to interact with AI, maybe even have a quote-unquote discussion or a conversation with AI. We make a statement and it seems to somehow acknowledge and understand what we've said and respond in kind. But at the end of the day, is AI capable of engaging in relationship? Certainly not the kind of relationship that God desires for us. We'll talk about that next. Dr. James Spencer with us tonight, president of the D.L. Moody Center. He is the host of the weekly radio and podcast program called Useful to God, author of a number of best-selling books, as we mentioned, including Useful to God, Eight Lessons from the Life of Dwight L. Moody. We take a brief time out back with more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Dr. James Spencer with us today, president of the D.L. Moody Center. We've been talking about the continued growth of AI or artificial intelligence and over the weekend how AI was used to literally preach a sermon at St. Paul's Church in Bavaria. And overall, the sense of the folks in the congregation seemed to be it did okay. But quickly, when you begin to peel back the layers of the onion, you find out that there is great potential in AI, but also some tremendous pitfalls, if not outright dangers. And of course, one of the big dangers is to somehow think that we can interrelate with AI in the same fashion and manner in which we do with each other. And certainly, Dr. Spencer, we can see AI attempts to emulate, maybe even mimic relationships with other people and interactions with people. And yet, at the end of the day, as we've been discussing, it is impossible to be a substitute for true relationship. And that, of course, is at the very core, the very center of the gospel itself. Yeah. What I tend to see with artificial intelligence is something that makes relationships or the illusion of relationship easy. And as we move toward efficiency in the technological realm, it's very much about moving toward efficiency. Um, the way that relationship with AI is being conceived is as a completely helpful and supportive entity that we can relate to and glean insights from. But it's very easy. AI isn't really designed to, you know, challenge us. AI isn't designed to be disappointed when we don't meet, you know, its expectations. AI isn't going to uh, feel any sort of disappointment when um, we just are, you know, sort of tired or cranky or angry and, you know, we've got to navigate other people's emotions as we relate to them. And I think that there's something about the effort that we often put through with other human beings that forms and shapes us into people more faithful to God and more loving to our neighbors. And so I don't believe that, I, I think AI can help in certain instances, but I see it you know, helping in the same way that I think about a Google search engine helping. 
it's going to provide me with some information that I can kind of mull over and think about. And then I can actually go out from that information and maybe have stronger relationships with actual people. But I don't ever really envision having a relationship with artificial intelligence in the same way that I have a relationship with my wife, my kids, my friends, my, you know, my extended family. I just don't see it because AI is not really relating to me. It's simply responding to a stimulus that I give to it. And at the end of the day, AI is not capable of loving and you can't engage in the kind of relationship as we've been discussing with AI the way we do with God or with other human beings. I, I, I like it in a sense to I've had many, many conversations with pastors in the months and years post COVID and how that during COVID, when we were all separated and in our homes and in lockdown and churches harness things like live stream and what have you in order to be able to at least somehow uh, have that engagement with folks that were unable to attend church in person, but at least could attend, quote unquote, remotely. And then as the COVID eased and we began to kind of put all of that experience behind us, there were some people that just felt that, well, the convenience of being able to get up in the morning and, and not get into a suit and, you know, fight traffic or, you know, fight for a parking spot and be at church at 945 a.m., that was kind of convenient. I could just kind of do the whole thing remotely. But every pastor that I've talked to has said, you know, it's just simply not the same. When God says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves, boy, he clearly anticipated the fallout, <laughs> the technological fallout of COVID. Now, thank God that we had the technology that allowed us to continue to, to be engaged in church on Sundays, but it is still at the end of the day, and maybe this is maybe this is the big operative word. Everybody gets excited about the intelligence part of AI failing to recognize the real, the real operative word here is an intelligence it's artificial. It's phony. It's not the real deal. And, and and I have to wonder toward that end, is there at the end of the day, as much as this can be used to, to, to make life easier and to give us a vast uh, pool of knowledge easily at our disposal without having to engage in a lot of effort, does it also run the risk of doing what sadly the enemy has always done and that is to, to present a false gospel, a false religion, a false faith? I think so. I mean, I think that's always a danger, right? I mean, to your point, you know, once we once we decide that convenience is more important than some of the things that we read in Scripture, once we decide that convenience is more important than assembling together and encouraging one another, once we decide that convenience is more important than actual study, we can just type in a question that we have and chat GPT will spit out an answer. So once we decide on those things, I think what we end up doing is we end up depending on the machinery and the devices and the artificial intelligence to provide us with, um, to use sort of an analogy, our daily bread. And when we are, you know, leaning in on those devices to provide our daily bread, there's a whole lot less reason for us to ask God for it. And so in that way, I think that as we become more and more dependent on these technologies and less and less willing to give up our convenience, to really do the hard things that come along with being a disciple, I, I think ultimately we are going to be led away from God in a sort of Deuteronomy 8 sense in which, you know, the Israelites have come into the land, they're experiencing all of these wonder, this wonderful prosperity that God has given them, 
and they forget God and say, my strength and my power have brought these things to me. And so as we get more and more convenient, as we start leaning in on these technologies, we become more and more self-sufficient and things tend to run this way, I think we open ourselves up to just neglecting God, marginalizing him, keeping him sort of at the, at the sidelines of our lives, and that's never a good thing. And so the false gospel, I think, will end up being less, um, you know, like some of the older heresies. I think the false gospel will end up being um, us showing our attention to a machine as opposed to making God the center of our lives. Yeah, and and the enemy, of course, always seeks to put in a, that false dichotomy, that, right. that substitute. And, and, yeah. and maybe therein lies the, the biggest warning that as much as there's a sense of excitement about all of this, I think there's so that fear of uh, and, and trepidation is a very real one because, you know, as we've heard even discussions about how easily things like deep fakes can be used to sway public opinion and to convince people sure. and to manipulate people. And at the end of the day, isn't that exactly what the enemy is trying to do? And that is to convince us that we don't need yeah. God and to manipulate us into believing that we can get along just fine with without him. Yeah, I mean, those things are really, I think, the scarier parts of artificial intelligence, and they're the ones that we don't really talk about as much. But as we think about, you know, sort of the text-to-talk sort of features of AI, those aren't as as troublesome to me as some of the things that we're seeing with the reproduction of voices, the reproduction of faces, the ability to produce um, video and audio content that really does seem like it's presenting reality when in fact it is absolutely artificial. And so we're walking into this realm where not only the world is going to be more proficient at you know denying God, it's going to have the ability to produce reasonable and, and probably more than reasonable fakes that could potentially lead us away from him. And I think believers really do need to consider as they're looking at AI, not just considering the strengths and weaknesses of the, of the technology, but really deeply trying to understand what it means to be a person who is in relation with God and other people, and what we lose when we begin to depend on AI too much. So this is really going to suggest then that we are entering into an age when uh, even as much as we tend to like to be lazy and not have to work as hard and think as hard and study as hard, that in fact the notion of studying to show oneself approved, uh, the, the notion of honing your, your discernment is going to become ever increasingly important so that we do not become so readily deceived. I mean, I think we're being sent out, and we, we really have always been sent out like this. I think this is not a new phenomenon. We're just intensifying it with artificial intelligence right now. But we're being out, and we're being sent out as sheep amongst the wolves. Mm. And we just need to make sure that we are wise as serpents and innocent as doves so that we can survive and proclaim the gospel in whatever context we find ourselves in. I don't see artificial intelligence being the end of the world. But I do see Christians needing to be far differently literate <laughs> as we enter into this digital age so that they can discern truth well and then proclaim truth boldly. Toward that end, final question tonight, Dr. Spencer. I understand that uh, the Moody Center has a very special resource available called 20 Questions Christian Resistance, Technology, and Artificial Intelligence. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so we've done a few of these 20 questions, guys, as, as big social issues have come up. 
And this one's on artificial intelligence. I actually took the time to go into ChatGPT. It was actually version four at the time, I believe. And I had a couple days worth of conversation with it and asked it a lot of questions, probed a lot of its answers, and just tried to get a sense and a feel for what sort of information it would give me. And so this guide um, provides not only some framework for understanding artificial intelligence from a physical and theological perspective, but it also provides some of my reflections on that interaction with ChatGPT and includes some of the answers that I got from it just to give believers an idea of what these machines will actually tell you and how they are sort of right and wrong all at the same time. And for folks to access that resource, is that available directly through moodycenter.org? It is. They can go to moodycenter.org. It's a free download. All they have to do is uh, put in their email, and um, they can download that and take a look. All right. Again, a great resource available to you. 20 questions, Christian resistance, technology, and artificial intelligence available by going to the Moody Center website. Very easy. MoodyCenter.org. That's MoodyCenter.org. Our thanks to Dr. James Spencer, president of the DL Moody Center, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We all, since 9-11, have become alarmingly aware of uh, what is going on in the Muslim world, particularly on the fundamentalist end of things. Um, and as much as we're concerned about the threat to America's safety and security, the American way of life, imagine what people living underneath the oppressiveness of Islam is like in the Middle East. Most difficultly, we have seen many of these stories of women who have been charged under Sharia law courts and have received multiple lashings, uh, situations in countries in the Middle East where women are denied what we consider to be pedestrian of the basic human rights, the opportunity to uh, uh, drive a car, be involved in the elective process, even in some cases receive a basic education. The need, of course, ultimately is to share the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ with these women. And joining me right now is a lady who's done just that, working with her husband as a missionary in the Middle East for almost a decade. Um, They, in fact, to this day, remain actively involved in reaching the unreached people in the Middle East and around the world, bringing the gospel to Muslim women. And Audra Shelby with us on the program tonight. Audra, thanks so much for taking time to join us. Audra, uh, Craig, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. You have written a book detailing your experiences behind the veils of Yemen. And of course, we've heard some uh, news in recent months here with Yemen once again back in the news. Uh, We hear at at, at fleeting chances the opportunity for stories about life for people living behind the Islamic curtain, so to speak, particularly difficult so for women. That's right. And I've been blessed with being able to tell my story and getting behind the veils and visiting and getting into the lives, sharing the lives of these women. Tell us a bit about your experiences. Give us a bit of a a perspective, if you would. When we hear stories about, well, in certain countries, women are not allowed to vote. Other places, they can't drive. Uh, Women are not allowed to be seen in the company of other men unless it's an immediate relative. Uh, Can't go to school. We think of the stories that came out of Afghanistan and the tail end of the regime of the Taliban. Are the levels of extremism, of the lack of rights that women have behind the Islamic curtain, behind the veil, uh, that severe? 
Uh, it depends on the country and, and the area of the country. In Yemen, women did have the right to vote, and they were allowed to drive, but it all depended on permission of their husbands and support of their husbands. They were always subject to their husbands. Um, I had friends that were not allowed to go to the market or go out in, in the afternoons. They were required to stay indoors unless their husband gave them permission to leave. So you would, I did not know of a woman that was publicly uh, punished like you hear in Afghanistan or in some of the other countries, but I knew women that were beaten by their husbands and who could not uh, go out and visit other women because their husbands were too afraid they would run into a man. And then this justified based on Islamic teaching and Sharia law, but in reality, what, just a thin excuse for, for male chauvinism on, on steroids? Possibly. I think we have to understand, too, that women, for a woman to go into paradise, a lot of it is based on how well she obeys her husband and how well she raises good Muslim sons. So it's more than just what her husband requires. It's what she feels like she must do in order to achieve paradise. So there's a sense of religious duty behind a lot of this. Yes, there is. And for the average Islamic woman, uh, let's talk your, your directly to your experience in, in Yemen. Give us a thumbnail sketch. What's, what's life like for a woman? Well, let me take you to a bride, okay, who's, who's very excited about the three days of her wedding. She's going to be feted and celebrated by the other women. Ceremony will take place between her husband and her father. She does not attend the actual ceremony at the mosque. She is, for three days, her hair is done, and she's so excited, and girls look forward to the day that they're going to leave their father's dominion and have a home, and they dream of the love that they're going to get from their husbands. They're full of romantic dreams. Now let's flash forward a year later and see the same girl and who has no dreams in her eyes, and I tell about this in Behind the Veils of Yemen, meeting a girl who was just... You could see she'd become so disillusioned and so unhappy a year later, realizing she'd only left her father's dominion for her husband's dominion. Well, talk about a stark contrast against the, the Western ideal where women are involved in planning every detail of the wedding and the ceremony and uh, the experience, uh, you know, that everyone will enjoy there at the wedding and, of course, the following reception. And, and you're telling me in some Islamic countries the women are not even invited to their own wedding. <laughs> It's, it's a very different scenario. The women have these big parties where they get together for about three days. There's three days generally, um, and each day the, the bride wears a different color. And then the third day, the white day, she wears a white wedding gown just like you would find here, and she has this big party, and the women are all treating her like a princess. She sits on a special chair like a throne. And then after the actual wedding ceremony takes place between her husband and or her future groom and her father, then the, because the men are all partying separately, the, her husband and the men come in this great convoy of honking horns, and they come to pick up the bride and take her to her new home, to her husband's home, um, a lot of times with his family. And that's how her married life begins. And so it begins with uh, great excitement and anticipation, and, and sadly sounds like after a while it ends up being uh, as an oppressive atmosphere uh, at home with her new husband as maybe she had to deal with at home with her parents. Yes, 
yes. And a lot of times I think that's the way it worked works out in what I've seen among the women. Let's pause for a moment. We'll come back to our conversation. Audra Shelby with us today. She's author of Behind the Veils of Yemen, How an American Woman Risked Her Life, Family, and Faith to Bring Jesus to Muslim Women. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.